You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hey, Andre. Hey, Michael. What's up? Did you get your gingerbread, uh, uh, gin? I did. I'm, uh, we were gonna, we made plans to taste this live on the, on the podcast together. Uh, it's from Willibald, yeah. which is a really great distillery. They had the, um, rose honey gin last year that we, we included in our Toronto Life Roundup because it was, it was a very tasty, very tasty drink. Definitely, definitely something I'm, I'm looking forward to tasting again. But when uh, did it have this? Did this have? Did it have this GD wax on it? Um, it it did not. And I mean, it's one of those things. You, too, you and I have talked about this, I think, a little bit on the podcast. And when I launched um, ADX, uh, everyone who's had a chance to try my Chardonnay knows that there's a little wax button on the top. But I think what a lot of people don't know is the original plan was for us to completely wax the bottles. The reason why we didn't is. Because of what's happening right now. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember Hansberger did that with rosé of all things. I never understood why you'd. Like I'd see doing it with a Chardonnay. If you wanted to make it look high end and stuff, but it does look nice. Rosé. I'll admit it. it it's supposed it, to be, it looks nice. It definitely looks nice. It does, but it, I mean, rosé especially should be crack and go, right? As far as I'm concerned, or if you're going to have to, you know, put a corkscrew through it. You know what? It's not even a. <laughs> this is going to be a segment people are bored with in two seconds. Um, there is, it is a, uh, it is a plastic top though underneath. Thankfully, I don't have to corkscrew it or anything. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, you're. All right, I think I've already. got, I've got part of mine. Yeah, I can, I can open mine now. Okay, I still can't, I still can't open mine. Oh. So, so you know, you know my thoughts on gin. Actually, I can't remember if Jin's one of the ones you like or don't like, because um, all I know is I was scrolling through some old podcasts the other day, and I just saw that one where we did that fantastic bourbon tasting. Yep. And the look on your face is still, that's one of my favorite pictures of you. Well, Actually, you're just, you're just, very, you're just very photogenic in, in, in general. And I mean, if if, uh, if you're watching this on SoundCloud or you've gone to underwinereview.ca, you'll see that uh, Michael and I have taken some new headshots. So we've updated our look a little bit. Yeah, I still haven't gotten into this. Uh, what the hell? Okay, I'm finally in the mine. You really have to crack the. You really have to crack the wax. You really have to. Cam, don't do this next time. Your like your your drinks are too good, and yeah, the the, the package looks great, and I'm. Oh, it's because it's got a snowy peak on it, Andre. I know. I understand. I understand. Like the the idea, and like it's like you said, trying to make something look look high end and. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. Okay, I got it. Okay. Okay, you know, I don't 100% hate the nose. Uh, Although it's yeah, it's one of those things where I was I was I was imagining it to be a little bit more like ginger and molasses, but I, I don't know I don't know why. I mean, let's face it, it, it completely it completely makes sense that um, you'd have a gingerbread gin, right? Oh, wait, there we go. Gin. There's the spice. There's the spice. Because it smells like Christmas. Have you tasted it? Uh, I'm I'm still on the nose. So the nose. So I'm getting I'm I'm getting the ginger notes. Like there's definitely, definitely like it's opened up a bit. I'm 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 um, I'm sipping on this in a Glencairn glass, which is a whiskey tasting um, glass. 
Uh, I'm just using a shots of easel tasting glass myself. Uh, alcohol's forty percent on this, but it doesn't it doesn't burn the nose. Um, so it's pretty well balanced on the you know, nose here. Again, I said I don't I don't usually like gin. I don't like the 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 crazy mix, and that I've thrown up on gin a number of times. So. Oh wow. But the, there is a nice ginger kind of note to it, so I'm I'm Holy gonna go in. Crap. I'm going in. I, I, I'm going I, in. I cannot wait to have this with some eggnog in a couple months. Actually, surprisingly, that does not taste like gin. It does. It does. But the ginger notes are really there. Um, it's got like a um, caramel note on the on the mid palate, which is why it's got me almost feeling a little bit rum. You know what I mean? Well. You know what? I didn't even spit that. That's that's actually kind of pretty. Yeah, something to watch out for. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure that hopefully this goes into uh, this hopefully goes into wide release at the LCBO. But I think you'll definitely find this in the the runner's store for Toronto Life. Wow. Yeah. You this know is what? Really I uh, good. Well, I like that. I, I as I said, I am not a gin person. There's no there's no real afterburn. The taste is nice. You're really getting that ginger, that really that really hit of ginger, ginger caramel spice. It's nice. I would right. still I would still caution people if you're drinking this because it does have a bit of the sweetness to it. I imagine if you were to sit and uh, and plow through a bottle of this in a night. Well, I guess if you plow through any gin, you'd wake up with a wicked hangover the next day. But you know, just be careful. I could, um, I could see this with a little bit of tonic, uh, Sprite, maybe a ginger ale, even to. I think the tonic. Just, I think the tonic might might boost the sweetness. I think even just like like plain soda water to dilute it just a bit. But um, at the moment, I can get my hand on some nog. I'll do a re a retaste of this because I think that would make an awesome combination. Do you do you make your own nog, Andre? I do not make my own nog. Um, we're a fan of the President's Choice, the um, the Black Label one. Okay. Let's see. This seasonal gin is infused with a loosely guarded blend of traditional gin botanicals along with a generous helping of cinnamon, clove, and ginger to provide the warmth and aromatics you enjoy in your favorite gingerbread recipe. Lightly sweetened but beautifully balanced, this festive spirit is easy to enjoy on ice, by the fire, or in a June mule shared with family and friends around the dining table. Prost. Prost. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. So two thumbs up from us, I guess. Which is something that it's... Uh that we haven't done in quite a bit of time maybe we should look into getting the people a little thumbs up for uh, for the holidays how about that i think we should do that for december we should be able to get uh enough stuff together to do that and if you want us to try stuff for uh, thumbs up thumbs down and you're listening and you're a winery send them to us obviously we can't be together but uh send them separate you can email us at uh two guys talking wine at gmail.com yep definitely so, uh, obviously, we didn't uh, totally mean to um, uh, taste uh, uh, gingerbread gin uh, on the podcast. We were actually going to, you know, shoot the shoot the poop uh, a little today. <laughs> I love the and, fact that you, 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 you um, self-censored, your, self-censored yourself a little bit in there because we're actually going to be talking about language. We are. And uh, there was an article in, uh, in one of the papers... Um, uh, Andre, you found it and sent it over. Yeah, I'm actually looking at like, it, it. It blew up everywhere. It's about Jim Murray's whiskey Bible, um, and, and it's know, about basically sexism in, in alcohol reviewing. But I, I think we should give just a little bit of background because I want to give a shout out to um, Alberta Premium. 
So Jim Murray is the guy who writes this whiskey Bible every year, and he is one of, or if not the most influential whiskey writer on the planet. Uh, in 2015, when he scored the um, Crown Royal, what is it, Northern Harvest whiskey as the best whiskey of the year, it set off like a firestorm at the LCBO, flying off the shelves, etc. So this year for 2020, he issued the new whiskey Bible and named the Alberta Premium Cask Strength Rye as whiskey of the year. And uh, I've had a chance to taste this whiskey. Uh, it is the best Canadian whiskey I've ever had. Uh, and you and I have been having the opportunity to taste a lot from uh, from the locals as we've been doing the, the Toronto Life piece. Um, I mean, it's just when you can make a whiskey at cask strength, so 65.1%, and it doesn't burn the whole way down, you're doing something right. So, you know, it's a well-deserved honor. But the moment the Whiskey Bible came out, there was a little bit of backlash because um, of some of the language being used by Jim Murray in the book. He seems a little colorful, but not just colorful. Like, I would say we're colorful, uh, and that's why uh, uh, Brian Schmidt, um, you know, has always told us to clean it up a bit. And then we told him, you know, we make donations. And then he said, you know, spice it up a bit. Well, you but, know what? Uh, and, and, to be, and to be but to be honest, but, though, but like we, we Murray goes goes to another level. Totally. And I, I mean, think. and I mean, for on this podcast, we bleep the swears. And you know, I I actually I wanted to talk to you about this because I know that off the record not necessarily in print we have referred to think to wines as sexy we have used some language that some people may be offended by but i mean here's a comment um from... well, I, would, I would i would defend the word sexy yeah totally because sometimes i use that and both men and women can be described as sexy but i think jim takes this to another level and i think here's where i think this is the quote you're going to go with Okay, so from uh, from a tasting note on his Canadian club, have I had this much fun with a sexy 41-year-old Canadian before? Well, yes, I have. But it was a few years back now, and it wasn't a whiskey. Was the fun we had better? Probably not. That's not the one I thought you were going with. I thought there was there's another one about, uh, about an older lady uh, that's in there as well, and I don't have it in front of me. Uh, maybe uh, you but you're supposed through. to do your homework. I, I I did my homework. I I, I thought about it, <laughs> but there is one about an older woman and uh, about how she's held up, and I don't know if I have ever compared a wine to a woman in that. Well, I think we're even explicit a way that he that he does. We're even starting to see a bit of a, a bit of a shift. I know that uh, earlier in my writing, my short writing career, but even five six years ago, it was fairly easy to start um, comparing Pinot Noir, especially Pinot Noir from Ontario, for example, as masculine or feminine. And frankly, which I don't, which I don't think is, I don't, I still don't think that's wrong. It's, um, it's the way that he describes the some of these whiskeys that well, I was like. Whoa! I had never even thought of doing that. Well, why don't you look up look up the quote that you're looking for, and I'll uh, like just talk a little bit about like you know the thoughts that I had um, upon reading this. You know, and it, it's like I said, like it, it is one of the things where I just try to be a little bit more careful with the language, and and it's one of those things too where masculine and feminine can be can be pretty broad, and I think uh, both of us have come come a long way even since we started the podcast like I really enjoyed when we were talking to uh, Grant Westcott and Thomas Bachelder earlier this year where I managed to pinpoint you know specific musicians and specific 
people that I'm thinking of when I'm tasting the wine. When you're saying something like masculine or feminine, that's a pretty broad statement, but also the broader you are, the, the um, wider you open the door to offending someone. Um, I, I don't know. I think masculine and feminine, I think people can kind of see that. Yep. Uh, I am currently looking for your... Uh, you can still hear me, can't you, Andre? Yeah, yeah I can. I can. The room. Yeah, I can hear that you hear you from hear you from the other side of the room. That's fine. You know the um, the thing that I found a little bit surprising though was just when Jim Murray was called out by this. I mean, there's a really easy way to diffuse a situation like this. Like, I mean, it's it's objective. Yes, he's using colorful language. I think he has a history of using colorful language, but he, you could even say something like, "I'm really sorry if you were offended by the language I used. It's not my intention to offend people." And I think that's one of the reasons why you and I get away with a lot of the stuff we say is people recognize the intent. Is we're not doing this to, you know. Uh, close people off and I think especially when we're talking about gender issues you and I try really hard to make sure that we're being inclusive and uh, making sure that we're acknowledging the women in the industry uh, and acknowledging just the injustices that systemically exist within the the industry and that's not the reason why we're doing the the podcast system is the mea culpa but I was completely stunned that Jim Murray in response to the criticism said this is an attack on free speech Yes, he did say that. And he called it faux outrage as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as soon as you start completely dismissing dismissing people's complaints, like, I mean, I'm taking a look here. We, we had a comment on our podcast. And by the way, I love it when people leave comments for us. We prefer the positive ones. Uh, but we really offended someone on April 21st of this year's. Uh, do, do, should I read, the, should I read the, the comment that we got? Sure, if you like, while I'm while I'm uh, looking for this. Okay, so Joe Joe four 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 eight said, "It's 2020, guys. Some potty humor is expected, but when one of the hosts says to the other one, you're gonna pull out your man sausage.' And she says penis. I should just say penis. When you when you're gonna pull out your penis and jerk off all over this wine, it's too much. Absolutely disgusting from two supposed wine professionals. FYI, the system forces you to give a star." at a minimum in order to complete the review, but this is worth negative five stars. Good riddance. Never listening or reading your stuff again. I don't know if either of us ever went graphic to that level. I know we can get a little graphic when we're talking about Chardonnay, especially when you're taking the piss out of me about it. But seriously, if and it, it, uh, let me just say, if we have offended anyone with the language that we've used now or in the past, I unreservedly uh, apologize, and we are working to be better. Right, Michael? So, so it says here that there's 34 references to whiskeys being sexy. No, I don't have a problem with it. I was reading through the article. I was like, well, I refer to his wines as sexy. I do my wine videos. I call them sexy. Look, I have no problem with calling something sexy. But when you go to the point of saying it's, a, it's like a 40-year-old woman who has kept her figure and looks, and now only satin stands in the way between you and so much beauty and experience. And believe me, she's spicy. I don't. I don't think I've ever gone that way. Yeah, I don't think you. I don't think so either. You know, it, it, it's it's not it's it's not the language that I have an issue with as much as dismissing the concerns of of people. I mean, we are in a male dominated industry, both spirits and wine and beer, and there are a lot of people working really hard to change that. So it's just heartbreaking when you see that there's still this, you know like knuckle dragging caveman attitude of just like oh uh you know what there's nothing wrong with what i said 
And, and again, here's another one. If this was a woman, I'd want to make love to it every night and in the morning and in the afternoon if I could find the time and energy. So, there you go. Well, there you go. I thought this was a story. I thought this was a I don't think I've gone to that graphic a level. And, um... I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe you know. I've t I've seen pictures of this Jim Murray guy. He looks around the age of of a certain president. Um, maybe oh, yeah, he looks like a that, hobbit. Uh, he does look like he like he looks like he belongs in a Tolkien movie. Yeah, he's just an old old looking guy who's just lost not only his marbles but has lost uh, that sense of decorum. Let's say, and I guess when you get into your whatever age, you just kind of let it loose. So maybe here's the question, yes. just so we can get off of the, the criticism of, of Jim Murray, because we've touched on that. And like I said, the Alberta Premium Whiskey, it's it's a little bit um, heartbreaking did for me. Did you just because... say Jim Richards? No, no, I said Jim Murray. Wait, did I say Jim Richards? I hope I didn't say Jim Richards. <laughs> if we can get off the criticism of Jim Richards. Sorry, Jim, <laughs> he didn't really mean that. No, I meant to say Jim Murray. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Canadian whiskey, uh, and I think there's just something about the way that the Alberta Premium is made. Um it's it's put into charred oak barrels, so it's a similar style to making bourbon, but it still holds on to that Canadian whiskey soul. Um, this is definitely going to be, hopefully, still a hot ticket item uh, once it's available at the LCBO. Uh, hopefully, going into the holidays, should cost about sixty bucks a bottle, and it's, um, you know, I, I really hope that this doesn't tarnish the attention that this distillery deserves for creating such an outstanding product. You're you're the whiskey guy here. Uh, you know, you know, you've seen my face when whiskey comes into the room. So now we we were also uh, today you know, doing our shoot the poop, and uh, we had a discussion uh, about the disservice that the LCBO is doing lately. Um, and I'm not really sure where where to begin with this, but uh, let's just say that um, it used to be that every two weeks. Uh, we would head in, Andre, myself, a number of, of writers, uh, Canadian writers, Ontario writers, wine writers, obviously, would go to the LCBO and we would taste um, the wines that were coming out through vintages. Well, obviously, uh, due to the pandemic, they had to shut that down. But now we are we are at a point uh, where, you know, it's been long enough. And if the LCBO... Uh, had been doing some homework, doing some research, doing some thought process on this. They could have writers in uh, again, uh, and and I and I know of a number of ideas that have that have been bandied about. Um, uh, you know what? I'm I'm still in support of of playing it more safe than sorry. Like I still work in um, in downtown Toronto. I have to go into the radio station every day, but you know we're in, we're in phase three and I'll, I'll be honest my job's a little bit harder without having some more support at the radio station than i would normally have but you know we're talking about public health here that's not something you want to muck around with and i can tell you i know you live in st Catharines. i live in toronto just the the sense of anxiety in the city is a little higher than it is it's i, I love visiting wine country following the rules socially distancing washing my hands but visiting the wineries is just a nice escape from the city uh, just because people are a little bit more 
relaxed, and rightfully so. St. Catharines isn't the the gong show that Toronto is in terms of the case count, right? There's just a lot of people in the urban center not following the rules. They're not able to follow the rules. So on, on the on the other hand, our numbers are getting up because of uh, idiots from Toronto coming down, and and uh, I'll blame your your stupid city for that. Cool. Um, and and people not not wanting to follow the rules because they think oh everything's fine. They don't realize that we are still in in the midst of a global pandemic. But one of the, the topics that we were talking about is how the LCBO is now raising their their product consultants, was it, or their their own staff as, as wine personalities, which is kind of, they're trying to kill local wine writers because well, they are the ones with the platform. It, you know, and they are actually, no longer actually, rising, raising the, the notoriety of, writers of Canada, they are, you know, hitting Luca Maroney for 99 points. They're, they're sucking James Suckling dry. They're hitting Robert Parker up every time they possibly can and not really looking towards the writers that are Canadian. Well, and let me go back to the, um, the August 13th, um, as a post from our, our friend Conrad Edgebick uh, at wine zone on Instagram, where he pointed out in that latest, uh, vintages tasting catalog, they were, essentially educating the consumers on wine critics. And they included a variety of experts. You named all of them. There was not a single Canadian expert included in that catalog. And, you know, I know you and I have been fairly critical of Carolyn Evans-Hammond, who frankly is a joke, but still local and writing for a large platform. You know, Wine Align, their integrity is dubious given that it's pay for play with um, people paying for their reviews. But I still have a ton of respect for John Zabo, Michael Goodell, Sarah D'Amato, and David Larison, who are all experts in their in their field. But I mean, even people like Rick Vansicle, uh, Vic Herodine, like we have a really great roster of writers who are working really hard to create very good content. And it feels like even prior to the pandemic with the LCBO scaling back their access to product with the regular vintages tasting and that snub from the vintages catalog, it's almost as if they're trying to kill the um, local wine writing, lo- local wine writing community, local wine writers. They're just completely ignoring and, us. And, and look, they've been doing it for years with that food and drink magazine. Like that has killed more uh, wine publications. There is only one uh, wine publication in Canada at the moment. Uh, and, and it is uh, it is quench, um, but wine access fell by the wayside. Vines fell by the wayside, and the reason is how do you keep a magazine going without advertising? And food and drink sucks up all of that advertising. So the government, who the which is the which is the LCBO, has has killed wine writing and wine publications through the years. And I mean, on top of that, we and they take, continue, we take, they we, continue to do so. By saying our people know, don't worry about the other people because we're not we're not paying attention to them anymore. We're not giving them access anymore, and I don't see us getting access anytime soon. No, we're we're definitely not, and I'm sure that the uh, anyone at the LCBO listening to this in management are not going to be particularly thrilled with what we say because heaven forbid anyone uh, criticize the way the LCBO uh, handles their publications. But I'm you know. If you are going to be going to be propping up writers or your own product consultants, okay, the, the celebrating your own product consultants is is fine, but I mean, no, you know what? I'm I'm not okay with that. It's it's a complete conflict of interest to have your your own staff uh, like pumping up products. They're I'm, the one. They're the ones buying it. Yeah, that's it. 
I mean, where's, I'm, where's I'm, the third party? Where's the arm's length? They are not independent. They have to give it a good review because they have to sell it. There is no way that, let's say, Apothic Red hits the shelf, and no knock against Apothic Red at the moment. I'll knock but, against it. But let's say it's it's not a good vintage. They're still going to tell you it's a great vintage and that you have to go buy it, whereas um, I could say I tried it well, and I, leave it at that. And that's the thing. The thing about people like Luca Maroney, Carolina Van Salmon, James Suckling, and Robert Parker, uh, granted, I, I think that all four of those writers are, are full of crap. Um, you know, apologies to Robert Parker. I know you had a day and time where you were extremely influential and unfortunately still are, but, uh, you know, the scores are out of hand. You know, I, I think that... that if you are going to be propping up writers, some serious questions need to be asked about the integrity of where the scores scores are coming from, and and the integrity of the scores themselves. I mean, how many hundred point scores does does Luca Maroni give out in a year? He doesn't. It's the ninety nines that drive me crazy. I see ninety nine on, on on so much, and I'm like, what was wrong with the wine that he couldn't score that extra one? I mean, you know, ninety nine is a great score. I don't think in all of my years I have given a wine ninety nine. I haven't done it. I've given some five stars. That does not mean it was a hundred point wine. It means that it was an excellent wine, an outstanding wine, but it was not in any way, shape, or form a hundred points or ninety nine. No, totally. Uh, and I mean, it's one of those things too. We're all fully acknowledged. Like even in the in the the ten years that I've been writing about wine, like you can see, there is a definite increase in in quality as technology becomes easier for wineries to access. You know, across the board, it's easier to make better wine. It it, it just is. But that doesn't mean that the scores need to necessarily creep up. It means you move the the bar for ninety lower. Ninety is a good score, but you know, not everyone can make a one hundred point wine. Andre, I must tell you, it is pouring cats and dogs down here in Niagara. I just missed the rainfall on my on my commute home. Uh, so what are we going to do with the swear jar with this episode? Because we swore that we would never talk about wine scoring on this podcast again after the last one. And also said that we wouldn't talk about uh, Caroline Evans Hammond and the Toronto Star. And here we are again talking about it. I don't know. I guess we, we have to you know reach out to Brian and, and ask him. But I don't think we swore a lot, did we? Uh, no, we didn't. I Wait, did I drop an S-bomb? I got pretty worked up during this. We'll have to hear back the tape. Maybe, maybe talk about it next week or something. Okay, I guess, I guess we can do that. Um, yeah, so I guess takeaways are, you know, we shouldn't be sexist. We shouldn't be writing. making love to women while we're drinking wine or shouldn't, something of that neighbor. Gingerbread gin is good. Yep. Carolyn Evans-Hammond continues to be an embarrassment to wine writing and uh, media. And Luca Maroni does too. And James Suckling as well. Who, uh, by the way, offers master classes if you... Uh, the targeted advertising seems to come at me pretty regularly on that. So that being said, if you want to support these independent journalists, I don't think I'm full of crap. Or you, do you think we're full of crap? Okay, no answer from Post Michael. Posted on... Uh, we're, we're on Facebook, obviously. We're on Twitter. Well, I was going to hey, say, check out check out Patreon if you want. These days, if you want to support, if you want to support what it is we're doing, uh, support us on Patreon. patreoncom slash wine. You know, there's still an opportunity if you would like to uh, get a tutored wine tasting where we will not be getting into graphic sexual details about what we would like to do to the wine, but we'll certainly banter back and forth. We would be more than happy to um, uh, to have you uh, taste with us. Um, patreoncom slash wine. 
And I think that's it for us this week, Andre. Uh, I'm Andre Prue of AndreWineReview.ca and Andre WineReview on all social media. And Andre has obviously been into the gin a little bit harder than I have. What, what I'm makes Michael Pinkus of MichaelPinkusWineReview.com. Uh, social media at the great guy, a little bit on the Michael Pinkus side. And uh, from very rainy Niagara on when we're recording this, it's Thursday. So there's no harvesting today. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.